0: Luke one 39-45 In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And also Luke 3, 15 through 22. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, Whether he might be Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, With many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased.
1: New life. New life is sacred and it's precious. And friends, we've gathered here this morning to celebrate new life, both physical life and spiritual life. We begin by remembering that today, Sunday, January 22nd of 2023, would have been the 50th anniversary of a horrible piece of jurisprudence, Roe versus Wade. But last year, with their 2022 decision on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the Supreme Court recognized Roe v. Wade for the horrible legal decision it was and struck it down. And, friends, no matter your position on abortion, this was a triumph for our judicial system. Because ever since it was first decided, legal scholars, even ones favorable to Roe v. Wade, I mean, even those favorable to abortion, have said that Roe v. Wade was a faulty legal decision. So much so that 10 years ago, in 2013, On the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, far left-leaning Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued that Roe was a faulty decision and that the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision was too far-reaching and sweeping. Friends, while many have cried that with the Dobbs decision, the court has taken away some kind of so-called right to abortion in our Constitution, the decision in Dobbs revealed that there actually never was a right to abortion in our Constitution. And despite what some would have you believe with their rhetoric, the overturning of Roe versus Wade has not made abortion illegal in our country. The decision with Dobbs simply put the decision back where it always should have been with the states, the legislatures and the voters, not with the unelected court. The court has taken nothing away. It has merely corrected a bad decision and friends. No matter how you feel about abortion, this is a victory for our legal system in America. But friends, we're gathered here today to grieve and to mourn because every decision has a consequence. And friends, bad decisions have not just consequences, but victims. And since Roe v. Wade in 1973, there have been over 63 million abortions in America. 63 million children, no more. In 2020, which is the most recent statistics we have available from the Guttmacher Institute, in 2022, on 2020, there were 830,160 abortions in the U.S. Friends, decisions have consequences, and bad decisions have victims. And this morning, while we celebrate a victory for life, we also mourn the victims of Roe versus Wade. And friends, make no mistake, this is not the end, it's only the beginning, because the fight for life has been brought to the state and to the local legislatures. The fight for life is now in your hands, the hands of the voters. Today, on what would have been the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, be aware, this administration, our Vice President Kamala Harris, is in Florida stumping for greater abortion access. Last Wednesday, on the 17th, our Maine governor, Janet Mills, had a press conference to announce new new legislative bills that aim at expanding abortion access here in Maine. And in her comments, she said, and I quote, the decision to have an abortion is deeply personal. And fundamentally, these are decisions that should be made by a woman and her medical provider. Friends, abortion never has been and never will be a merely personal decision. After the baby is born, if you choose to kill the baby, is that a personal decision? How can it be a personal decision before the baby has traveled just a few inches through the birth canal? What magically changes bestowing upon the child now humanity and the right to life? Governor Mills contends this decision should be made between a woman and her medical provider. But who speaks for the baby in that decision? Who speaks for the one whose life is about to be terminated? Mills asserts that this is about women's rights. Friends, 50% of the babies that are aborted are female. What about those women's rights? Do those women not have rights? Are they less valuable because they're younger, smaller, dependent, vulnerable? If someone's more vulnerable to abuse and has no voice of their own, doesn't justice call on us to stand for their rights? Friends, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. Unfettered access to abortion is bad, illogical, unjust idea that has claimed many victims. And so how is it just to remain silent while it continues? Now friends, notice I have not yet mentioned scripture. Because Roe versus Wade was and should have been struck down legally. Pro-abortion arguments don't hold together factually or logically. The grief of women who have miscarried demonstrates that we know intuitively that this is a life. And science has clearly revealed the humanity of the unborn. So friends, you can keep your religion out of it because abortion does not have a leg to stand on morally, logically, intuitively, or scientifically. But I believe... That Scripture clearly affirms what morality, logic, intuition, and science have shown. That the unborn is a human life worthy of protection. And friends, we celebrate new life. The first passage that Mary read for us this morning shows us another Mary having just heard the announcement that she will miraculously conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she goes running to her relative, Elizabeth, who also is miraculously pregnant in her old age. The passage opens telling us that Elizabeth is in the sixth month of her pregnancy, 24 weeks. Mary is newly pregnant, not more than a few days, maybe a few weeks. And when Mary arrives, this is what happens. Verses 42-44. through And Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Now friends, I freely confess that the point that I'm arguing here is not the main point of this passage. But this passage stands on some unmistakable assumptions. First, the fruit of Mary's womb at that early, early stage of development is identified in verse 43 as the Lord. The moment the Holy Spirit caused Mary to be pregnant, she was not pregnant with anything less than Jesus, the Son of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, Elizabeth declares that what is in Mary's root womb is her. Not, what is in Mary's womb will one day be my Lord, or after birth somehow will become Jesus, the Son of God. At that very early stage of development, he who is in Mary's womb is Jesus himself, the Lord. And secondly, the unborn 24-week-old John leaps for joy in response to the presence of the unborn Jesus. Elizabeth describes the action of a person separate from her. She didn't jump. She says, the child within me jumped, independent of me. Because it's not a clump of cells. It's not an extension of Elizabeth's body. It's a separate person. And friends, how is it that this 24-week-old baby could jump in response to the presence of Jesus? You might remember when an angel appeared to Elizabeth first telling her that she would be pregnant. He instructed in Luke chapter 1 verse 15, for he John will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Friends, Nowhere in the Scripture does it ever say that any animal is filled with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Scripture does it ever say that any inanimate object is ever filled with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Scripture does it ever say a person's arm or leg or kidney is filled with the Holy Spirit. Biblically, only persons are filled with the Holy Spirit. So if from the womb, John was filled with the Holy Spirit, then friends, that which grows in the womb is a person. In the womb is new life. And friends, new life is to be protected and celebrated. So today on Sanctity of Life Sunday, we come and we celebrate new physical life. But today we also celebrate another type of life. Spiritual life. And friends, that's what we're going to see pictured in just a little while in baptism. Because the second passage that Mary read for us today, we see the same people. John and Jesus, they're just much older now. And John and Jesus again encounter one another. John has gone before Jesus into the region of the Jordan River. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, in ancient times, a herald would travel before a king. He he would announce the coming of the king and he would command, prepare yourselves. The king is coming. And John is the herald who goes before the coming of the true king. He calls people to prepare themselves for the coming of the king. John proclaims the gospel, the good news. He says, the king comes and he's offering terms of peace. Because of His great mercy and compassion, no matter how great your treason, no matter how heinous your crime, no matter how horrible your rebellion, you can be forgiven. You can be at peace with the coming King if only you'll turn and repent from your rebellion and pledge your allegiance to the coming King. Friends, the King desires peace. And for right now, the King imposes that peace on no one. But he's giving all an opportunity to repent, to turn to him and to receive peace, to turn from our rebellion and to turn to him. However, as we hear John announce, for those who refuse repentance, then the only thing that remains for such persons is judgment and destruction. And friends, John's message is offensive. It's not politically correct, he's not polished, it's not poll tested. Probably could not be declared in a safe zone and should come with a trigger warning. I mean, in verse 19, his message has gotten him in trouble with Herod the Tetrarch. Because, friends, the message of repentance offends everyone. It offends us all because it applies to all of us. Friends, we opened this morning singing, Just As I Am, without one plea. And we are all welcomed just as we are, without one plea to come. But none of us can remain just as we are. Jesus welcomes us all, but he affirms none of us in our sin. Friends, the King has come to save us from, not affirm us in, our sin and rebellion. His message is not, you're great just the way you are. His message is, I love you exactly how you are, and I love you enough not to leave you there. I have come to set you free and to make you new. And baptism is a symbol of that repenting and entering into the new life, being made new. Baptism was a practice that was known to the Jews of Jesus' day because they would baptize Gentile converts, for symbolizing the cleansing and the repentance and entrance into the new life as Jews. However, John's message was that not just do the Gentiles need to be baptized, but the Jews alike. In fact, all of you must repent. All of you must be cleansed of your sin. The old life must die. All of you must be born again into a new allegiance to the coming King. And all who refuse the baptism of repentance will eventually face a baptism. But it will be of fire and of judgment. Friends, we've come today to celebrate new spiritual life. And in just a little while, we're going to witness two young persons as they give their testimonies. They they have entered into that new life. That they pledge their allegiance to the King. They identify themselves with Jesus and what He's done. And friends, that's what baptism pictures for us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him in baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, baptism is a visual expression of an invisible reality that has taken place. Buried with Him by baptism into death, we go down into the water, identified with Him in His death, buried with Him. In baptism, friends, our old sinful life is dead and buried. We are washed clean of the past, and we rise from the water to new life. As the passage says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, the old life is dead, it's buried, it's gone, it's washed away, and we rise from the waters of baptism to new life. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. The King has come and He offers peace and new life. In Jesus Christ, the old can be gone and the new can come. We can rise spiritually to live a new life. It is as we sang this morning in resurrecting. In Your name I come alive. To declare your victory. The resurrected King? He's resurrecting me. I live new. The old life dies. Buried with Jesus. I need no longer serve past sins or addictions or desires. I no longer need to be a slave to my sin and my guilt and my shame and the fear of my past. By faith, the resurrected King is resurrecting me. And I walk with Him now in new life. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 declares, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And friends, that is the message of baptism. New life. We've come today to celebrate new life. And these two young persons who are going to come, they pledge their allegiance to the king. In baptism, they identify themselves with Jesus Christ and what he's done. And we believe that new life, both physical and spiritual, is sacred and is to be celebrated. So friends, as you witness this baptism today, if you yourself, by faith, have never trusted in what Jesus has done, have never put your faith in His death and His resurrection, if you have not had your past forgiven and your sins washed away, if you have not yet begun to walk in the newness of life that Jesus has come to offer, let today be that day. Talk to me afterwards, for I would love to talk with you and to pray with you so that the resurrected King might resurrect you as well. And if you've never taken the step of baptism to publicly proclaim your identification with the death And the life of Jesus Christ. Then I want you to know that coming up this year, I'm excited about this on Easter, which is April 9th this year, we're going to have another baptism service. So on the day that we celebrate Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, you're going to get to see symbolically a celebration of resurrection to new life. And if you have never taken that step of faith and been baptized, please talk to me. Because I would love for you to be a part of that baptism service on Easter, April 9th of this year. We already have two who are planning to be baptized on Easter. And I hope that there are more who will come forward as well. And church, for those of you who've already put your faith in Jesus, for those of you who've already gone before into the waters of baptism, let every baptism, including this one, be a reminder of your baptism. Just as the Lord's Supper is a remembrance, as you witness this baptism, friends, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. When Reformation theologian Martin Luther said that he was tempted, his conscience would shout at him, remember your baptism. Friends, when guilt and regret for your past come knocking, remember your baptism. They've been buried and are gone. The old is gone. When you are tempted by sin and compromise, remember that by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have risen from the waters of baptism and you walk now in newness of life. That sin is no longer your master. For you are now a child of God, part of God's family of faith. And friends, you never walk alone. So in the power of the Spirit, stand against that temptation. Remember your baptism and live your new identity, O beloved child of God. Remember your baptism. For if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So live your identity, children of God. And let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for life. For new life. And thank You for Jesus Christ. Lord, we come today to celebrate. We come today to celebrate what Christ has done. And to praise Him. Be honored and be glorified. In our lives. In the new life we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our two baptismal.